Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. <clears throat> Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement in the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Mike Bernhard, a member of the Madison branch of the IWW. Your support helps to make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Hi, I'm Annette Kuhlmann. This week, the top story is the UW nurses' decision to issue a 10-day strike notice. We will also cover compensation for teachers, the fight by AFSME Red Cross workers for a contract, hear about American Postal Workers' Convention, Labor Fest, and much more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. Lucky's out to cheat us. Money speaks for money. Nurses have voted to authorize issuing a strike notice to UW hospitals and clinics. Labor Radio brings you the story from WORT News. Nurses at UW Health have been working to reform their union since 2019 and have only ramped up their efforts over the pandemic. And while UW Health continues to say that Act 10 banned all unionization at the hospital, the nurses are ready to put that to the test with an upcoming strike. WRT producer Nate Wiggyhout has the story. The nurses at UW Health have voted to go on strike next month if their union is not recognized by UW Health leadership. The nurses at UW Health have been fighting for a union since 2019, when even before the pandemic, they sought solutions to understaffing and long hours at the hospital. The issue comes from whether or not nurses at UW Health can be considered public employees. After Act 10 was passed in 2011, the UW Hospital and Clinics Board dissolved, forcing the nurses to negotiate with the similarly-sounding UW Hospital and Clinics Authority, or UWHCA. The UWHCA have repeatedly said that, due to Act 10, they are unable to recognize any unionization efforts from the nurses. While the nurses had a union before Act 10, that union expired in 2014. But multiple legal memos, including one by State Attorney General Josh Call and another by the state's nonpartisan Legislative Council, a group that advises policymakers on legal and policy research, have stated that Act 10 only removed the obligation for UW Health to recognize a union. They are still able to do it voluntarily. Why push for a union? Amelia Zepnik, a float nurse with UW Health, says that they just want a seat at the table. The biggest thing that the pandemic has really shown us is just how little say we at the bedside have around the policies that are being made. I think a big thing is focusing on staffing retention and recruitment and providing safer staffing ratios. Sepnik says that before the pandemic, she would be in charge of around four patients each day. Usually, two of those patients needed little attention, while one would need a little bit more attention due to how sick they were, and one needed total care for all their bodily functions. But after the pandemic... And now what I see is, routinely, we don't have enough staff to have four patients per nurse. We might have five during the day. And in addition... Two or three of them might be total care patients where 
you need to work and coordinate with your nursing assistant to turn them and help them get cleaned up and help them eat and do all of those things, maybe you'll have a independent patient. Likely you won't. And it's not been uncommon for me to have more than one medically unstable patient at a time, which is incredibly stressful as a nurse providing care. The nurses held their vote yesterday and said that they will strike from 7 a.m. on September 13th to 7 a.m. on September 16th, unless UW Health officials recognize their union. As the broadcast, <clears throat> as a broadcast, there is no indication that the hospital is prepared to meet with the nurses. There is still time for the hospital to do to agree to meet, and there are experienced and trusted mediators who are willing to offer their services, but so far to no avail. Thanks to the WORT News Department for this story. Teacher pay and school funding is a problem in Wisconsin. Labor Radio brings you part one of an interview with Dan Ross Miller of the Wisconsin School Board Association. Teachers are paid less than their non-teacher college-educated counterparts in other professions. This is the finding by the Economic Policy Institute, which tracks wages and teacher pay and reports an alarming trend. By 2021, teachers were earning 23% less than workers in other professions requiring a college education. Dan Ross Miller is the Director of Government Relations for the Wisconsin Association of School Boards. The association supports and promotes public education. Ross Miller confirms this national trend. What the data seem to indicate is that this problem is national in scope and that uh, teachers are undervalued not only in Wisconsin but in, in many states and in some states significantly more than they're undervalued in Wisconsin. That being said, we're in the midst of a, an interesting labor situation with teachers. We've seen uh, an increasing number of retirements as baby boomer teachers reach retirement age, and we've seen uh, a decrease in the number of students entering teacher preparation programs in colleges and universities, which is really creating a, a pinch in uh, school districts' ability to, you know, to hire and retain teachers. Why are schools having this problem recruiting and retaining teachers and support staff? What other jobs are drawing staff away from public education? We're seeing people decline offers of employment in school districts to go to work for big box stores, uh, particularly in, in the support staff, which would be school bus drivers, custodians, cafeteria workers, etc. We're living in an odd time where, um, as I said, the imbalance between supply and demand is not producing increased wages. School boards are limited in their ability to fund public schools. How did this happen? The state legislature is not funding public education. You would ordinarily think that a scarcity situation uh, where demand exceeds supply would result in higher wages, but that's not the case, uh, particularly in Wisconsin, but uh, elsewhere as well. Schools, uh, school boards can't pay teachers money that they don't have. And in Wisconsin, that this situation is, has been exacerbated by the, the reality that the legislature in the last state budget provided no increase in spendable resources, at least from state and local funds, to school districts for last school year and this school year. 
We will bring you more information about school funding and how the legislature can improve funding in part two of this conversation with Dan Ross Miller next week. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. As soon as you're born, they make you feel small. By giving you no time instead of it all. Till the pain is so big you feel nothing at all. A working class hero is something to be. Workers at the Badger Hawkeye Red Cross continue to face a management unwilling to provide adequate pay raises for their staff. The union attempted to bargain with the employer about wage increases and were met with a resounding no. AFSCME Council 32 representative Neil Rainford spoke with Labor Radio reporter Ellen Lawler-Zern about the talks. The Badger Hawkeye Red Cross has been bargaining for quite a while and they've run into lots of stonewalling from management. Can you give us an update about what's going on? Although we've been asking to bargain for a full year now, we've really only had a handful of bargaining sessions. Nevertheless, we did have two bargaining sessions. Those bargaining sessions were somewhat productive, but the key issue in the negotiations is wages. The union has taken a look at what the Red Cross has done with its employees in Illinois, as well as in Minnesota, and made a proposal regarding wages that's very similar to the agreements that it's reached there. The Red Cross has said no repeatedly to this very reasonable approach. What excuse do they give for saying no? It's sort of incredible. The The reasons the Red Cross are providing include when we had that money available, you didn't choose to bargain with us, which is an utter mistruth. We were asking for an entire year to bargain, and they were repeatedly refusing, so much so that we've had to file two ULP charges regarding that very topic. The second reason they gave us is that they had a pot of money to spend on employee compensation to adjust for market conditions. They said they've used up that whole pot of money, and now that there's none left. The sorts of explanations they're giving are unsatisfying at best and border on illegal at worst, given the refusal to bargain for so many months, and then now the claim that they no longer have any resources. You know, we want the same sort of agreement that they reached with our fellow Red Cross employees who do the very same work and the very same types of conditions. How is the union reacting to this? We are reaching out to the community and explaining through forums like our excellent local labor radio program, as well as our local newspaper at the uh, South Central Federation of Labor, through other sorts of outreach to friends and other folks in the labor community. We also have a steady campaign to help employees within the bargaining units understand the complicated nature of the negotiations. Unfortunately, the collective bargaining agreement that we have extended through essentially the end of the year prohibits us from taking any sort of work slowdown or work stoppage or informational picketing, any of those kinds of activities. Is there anything people in the community could do to help support your efforts? Members of the community can reach out to the Red Cross, particularly their CEO, Gail McGovern, whose email is readily available on the website, and express support for the Red Cross employees in Wisconsin and ask the Red Cross to negotiate a fair contract. That was Neil Rainford, staff representative with AFSCME Council 32.
I'm Ellen Lazern for Labor Radio. And as negotiations between AFSME and Red Cross management continues, supporters of Red Cross workers in the community are organizing to get the word out. Greg Gabowski reports. The struggle for a fair contract for Red Cross workers has brought a community response. Jen Edwards is the administrator and is on the executive committee of the Madison chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, the DSA, and is a member of Madison DSA's labor working group. Madison DSA has joined an effort to get out information to the community, helping to pass out leaflets and Red Cross blood drives. Edwards says that both those who care about workers and those who care about the mission of the Red Cross are the audience for this effort. I think as most labor radio listeners already know, there's been a pretty intense blocking of negotiations by the Red Cross over the past Several months, the Red Cross workers have been working with an expired contract for almost a year. It's not slightly over a year. It's obviously a cause for concern uh, for anybody in the community who uh, cares about workers and cares about their working conditions and also who is invested in the key functions that the Red Cross provides in our community and making sure that those people are being supported and doing their work. Edwards describes what happens next. The first date that's coming up here is going to be Monday, August 29th. It's going to be at Working Draft Beer Company from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. They're doing a major blood drive, and we will be out there leafleting just as like people who live in the community and are worried about working conditions, basically demanding that the Red Cross bargain fairly. That was Jen Edwards of the Madison Chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. Again, there will be leafleting this Monday, August 29th, from 1 to 6 at the Red Cross Blood Drive at Working Draft Beer Company, 1129 East Wilson Street, near Few Street and McPike Park on Madison's east side. For more information, you can contact Edwards through the Madison DSA email at dsamadison at gmail.com. That's dsamadison, all one word, at gmail.com. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky. Bangkok, oriental setting in the city, don't know what the city is getting. The creme de la creme of the chess world in a show with everything but Yul Brynner. Labor Fest is back. The event will be held on Labor Day, September 5th at the Madison Labor Temple, 1602 South Park Street in Madison, and runs from noon to 5.30 p.m. <clears throat> Labor Radio's Ellen Lawler-Zern spoke with Kevin Gundlock, president of the South Central Federation of Labor, or SCUFFLE, AFL-CIO, about what to expect at this year's fest. Can you describe the event? Yeah, Labor Fest is back, and this is really exciting. The South Central Federation Labor, AFL-CIO, we're going to celebrate Labor Day this year, September 5th, and it'll be on the Labor Temple grounds. We have two bands, VO5 and Chris O'Leary, that are going to perform. And in between the two bands, we'll also have what's called our solidarity roll call, where all the unions are up there letting people know that they all stand together. But this year, it's a little different because we had the year of the strike, and now we have a year of organizing. So we're going to hear from labor activists and union members a little bit about what they're doing when it comes to 
organizing. We'll hear from the nurses that will be going on strike possibly. Also, we will have a lot of informational tables out there. We'll have food and drink. So it's really going to be a great time. We also expect to have the current governor and our future U.S. senator, as well as current senator, and many, many others will be stopping by to celebrate alongside working class. Part of the event involves the Scuffles Community Services Committee and a drive for supplies for the Madison Schools Transition Education Program. What's that all about? Well, each year we do a different drive to help out folks that are not as fortunate as others. And this year, we're going to be working with the MMSD Transition Education Program, which really impacts a lot of our homeless children and homeless students in the Madison area. So we'll be asking folks to bring in their gift cards of various type, colored pencils, non-permanent markers, composition books, flashcards, things even like deodorant, small bottles of laundry soaps, things like that. Then we're really proud to partner up with MMSD and, and working with the MTI union members and, and AFSCME members that work for the school district. How can people help with what may be needed to make things happen for LaborFest? The way we keep LaborFest going and make it fun and successful, in part, is through volunteers. We only have four people signed up and we need a total of 12. If we don't have people in the food tent and the runners, then the food is really going to go out slow. And So all you need to do is get online, www.scfl.org, and you'll see LaborFest information right there. Uh, and then there's a link to sign up and volunteer. Why don't you give us a pitch for why people should stop at LaborFest? This is celebrating all of us, union and non-union alike, but obviously also the labor union's contributions within our community and within society. You'll be able to find out a lot about that if you don't know much about unions, but but more and more people are. We've got a lot of organizing efforts going on. We've got workers fighting back in many areas. And this is Ellen Lalazer for Labor Radio. More than 2,000 delegates gathered for the 26th biennial conference of the American Postal Workers Union. Eve Escher, health and safety officer of Local 241 of Madison, spoke with Frank Amsbach about con the convention. Eve, what was the most exciting part of the convention for you? It was really impressive to be part of the democratic process, to see a ton of different locals from all around the country coming together to decide things. But I think the most impressive aspect of it was just to be able to speak to the entire body, to hear their concerns, even when I thought their concerns were infuriating. It was still very impressive to me to be able to be a part of that. Escher also raised some key issues at the convention. He describes one of them. The issue I raised at the national convention was that I want our union to be more involved in the negotiated service agreements that USPS engages in with large-scale retailers like Amazon and UPS. My argument is that right now we're seeing heavy push to privatize the postal service. And while the convention was really excited about starting a campaign to dump DeJoy, it was, I'm concerned about the idea of another DeJoy coming in. And I don't think that's, that we're going to be able to prevent that unless our union has more say over the management and administration of USPS. The union has been stalwart in defending the Postal Service from privatization efforts. And I think it would be a great check and balance on any sort of nefarious forces that would like to privatize the Postal Service. Escher is referring to Louis DeJoy, the Postmaster General, but delegates overwhelmingly supported it, so it passed. Escher assessed the meaning of the motion for the union. It's a step forward, in my opinion, to push unions 
in the U.S. to say that, no, they have a right to engage in the management and administration of the industries that they're in. It's something that unions in other countries do, but it's something that you rarely ever see within the United States. So I was a little bit worried about that getting voted down, but it seemed like the majority of the body was in agreement with me and they voted uh, alongside my proposal, concurrence with my proposal. What can the union do to move this process forward? It's going to be a multi-pronged approach, right? We're going to have to get the rank and file to really think hard about the role of the union within USPS and to reevaluate it. If you ask any of like the rank and file employees at the Postal Service, they'll tell you that it's the bargaining unit employees that run the show. Oftentimes, we're fighting against management just to get the job done properly. But the other aspect, this is going to require probably new legislation. It's going to involve some uh, legal processes. The Postal Service has been in crisis for some years. What did the delegates have to say about how to solve the challenges facing the Postal Service? There were a slew of new proposals um, dedicated to expanding services. Right now, we're very dedicated to fighting to bring about postal banking, which would allow us to bring financial services to large segments of the American population that have no access to banks. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I just want to say I'm pretty proud of the American Postal Workers Union. And there was a commitment I felt across the delegation that our struggle in our union is not separate from the labor struggles in other unions or even those who are unorganized. On the last day of the convention, delegates celebrated the great postal strike of 1970. That strike achieved a real recognition of the union by the U.S. Postal Service. Thanks to Ev Escher of APW Local 241. For this interview, I'm Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. Negotiators for the Columbus Education Association in Ohio came to a conceptual agreement with the Columbus School Board tentatively ending their strike. The Columbus English teacher and CEA spokesperson Regina Fuentes made a public statement about the agreement. August 25th, 2022, at 2.30 a.m. this morning, after almost 14 continuous hours of negotiation, the bargaining teams from the Columbus Education Association, CEA, and the Columbus City School Board reached a comprehensive conceptual agreement on a new labor contract covering nearly 4,500 teachers, librarians, nurses, counselors, psychologists, and other education professionals employed by Columbus City Schools, tentatively ending the district's first teacher strike since 1975. This deal would not have been possible without the unwavering support of parents, community members, organized labor, and local businesses in Columbus. It is a citywide effort that allows CEA to win the schools Columbus students deserve. We would like to also acknowledge the hard work of federal mediator Joe Treo in bringing the district back to the table today. CA is excited to share details with the community. However, members will first review and vote on ratification of this comprehensive conceptual agreement. A mass membership meeting is being planned for this weekend, at which time the CEA core bargaining team will recommend ratification, potentially ending the three-day strike. 
The board is scheduled to vote on the agreement following CEA's ratification. If both parties approve the deal, classes will resume for students on Monday. We recognize the sacrifices students, parents, and teachers alike have made during the last three days as we fought for our schools that Columbus students deserve. Let the history books reflect that this strike was about students who deserved a commitment to modern schools with heating and air conditioning, smaller classes, and well-rounded curriculum that includes art, music, and PE. Labor Radio talked to Regina Fuentes earlier in the week, and she had this to say about the plight of public education nationwide. The entire nation really needs to pay attention to public education right now and start investing more in our students. These are the future members of our community and make this profession more marketable. And the way that you do that is through a good contract, coming through on the promises that you made to make sure the buildings are secure and fully resourced. Congratulations on a hard-fought negotiation and win for the Columbus Education Association. That was Regina Fuentes. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio. Over a long period of time, the Postal Service has developed critical understaffing problems like many other parts of the economy. Recently, the City Letter Carrier Union, the NLAC, uh, has helped to develop a response to improve workforce levels. On August 4th, the National Association of Letter Carriers, the NALC, and the United States Postal Service, USPS, reached an understanding to improve staffing conditions in dozens of post offices across the country. The new agreements provide for 43 additional installations in which the Postal Service will convert all City Carrier Assistants, or CCAs, to part-time flexible, or PTF, career status. The program expands a previous trial in 22 post offices across the country. The change to career status means that the employees will receive a wage increase of more than $10 per hour. They will also have access to improved job benefits, including better health care, sick leave, and retirement benefits, and enhanced job security once they pass probation. In addition, after these conversions are completed, the Postal Service will hire new PTF city letter carriers in these installations in order to increase the number of career carriers on the rolls for each installation. These agreements require the Postal Service to convert all CCAs in the identified installations to PTF career status as soon as practicable. These measures are designed to address short staffing that is due in part to pandemic conditions. The short staffing results in employees working longer hours than is sustainable. Carriers in some installations have been working for several weeks without days off. They often have to work more than 12 hours per day. As a result, turnover has been extremely high. In the Madison installation, turnover rates have been around 50% within the first year of employment during recent years. The high rate of departures means that the remaining employees are forced to work longer hours and the feedback loop continues. Nationwide, the Postal Service has seen an increase in resignations even among career employees, a phenomenon that was unknown in previous decades. The memorandums are designed to improve staffing in the covered installations and the number of locations with an all-career workforce model has increased to 65, but they will not fix all the staffing issues across the country. 
No Wisconsin installations are included at this time. NALC representatives say they will continue working with postal management to address the widespread staffing issues that continue to negatively impact letter carriers and postal customers. I'm Keith Steffen reporting for Labor Radio. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Mike Bernhard. Thanks to editors Frank Emsbach and Ellen Laluzern, assistant Robin G, reporters Mike Bernhard, Greg Jabowski, Sean Hagerup, Anna Hom, Scott McCulloch, Janine Ramsey, Tony Reeves, Carol Weidel, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, and to all our readers and the members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Manette Kuhlmann. We also like to thank all the generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts and the Professor Burklark. Clark.